probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... I'm Mark from the DC Cinematic Minute podcast, where we talk about all the films within the DC extended universe, including Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and in one point in time, we'll do Wonder Woman. <laughs> Uh, yeah, how how far away is that at this point? Do you, do you guys know like kind of roughly when you'll get to that? <laughs> our our foot is pushing the pedal all the way down. We are trying to get to Wonder Woman as fast as we can. <laughs> so we didn't take a break after we did Man of Steel Minute, which we completed that. So if you're interested in that and Superman, you can check that out. But we're trying to get to Wonder Woman, so there's going to be no stopping, no breaks when, you know, throughout Dawn of Justice and when we do Suicide Squad. So we have to get through that and then we'll get to Wonder Woman. <laughs> get get through Suicide Squad is maybe the right term. <laughs> <laughs> Although that one probably has got, we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, at least because you got so many kind of different characters showing up and stuff. Yeah. So. It's going to be, you know, I, I'm i excited to try and find the good in it because I know that people will bring the negativity. So I will try <laughs> to find someone who loves it and try to find out why. <laughs> Best of luck on that, my friend. Um, <laughs> you'll have to do uh, have to do Green Lantern after you after you finish Wonder Woman. <laughs> Go back and find somebody that loves that movie. No, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um uh, today on uh, Halloween of all days, by the way, happy Halloween to everybody listening. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween. <laughs> um, today we're talking about Minute 62 of The Thing, which begins with uh, with that kind of very dark night shot of the outpost that we that we talked a little bit about yesterday. And then ends a minute later with uh, McCready saying, we're going to find out. And then it cuts off. And we'll, we'll have to find out what he was talking about uh, tomorrow. <laughs> but um yeah, this this minute is actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. I'm glad that worked out that this is on on Halloween. It's the perfect time to talk about it. But yeah, this basically is an entire scene of McCready. They're they're burning the blood, and they're just having this kind of. He has this monologue where he's basically just kind of summing up the situation and you know telling us telling us as the audience what the stakes are at this point. Um, but it's a it's a really kind of beautiful setup with him on one side with the flamethrower, you know, in front of the fire and everybody else kind of in a in a semicircle around it on the other side. Yeah, it's a great setup. And I've always this scene has always kind of stuck out in my head. Yeah, it it well, it I'll be honest, it didn't stick out when I used to watch this film, you know, as a whole. But when I was taking notes for this minute, like when I first saw this exact minute for the first time, isolated, I was like, wow, this is like the big deal of the film. Like, I don't know. There was like, this is such a important minute or uh, this is an important line of dialogue that McCready is delivering uh, as far as like, 
what is in motion set for like the rest of the film. So I was like, yeah, it's pretty important. I do want to note that you couldn't pay me a million dollars to touch that blood, uh, <laughs> given the situation. Um, I don't know if you've talked about like contamination or anything throughout this podcast, a little bit. but it, the, I don't know with the whole situation that they're in, like, no one really seems to be concerned with touching things. I know there was, I think it was minute 35 where uh, Blair like touches one of the corpses with like a pencil and then puts <laughs> the pencil on his mouth. <laughs> and I literally was screaming at the TV yesterday. I was like, what are you doing? Where are your parents? Get that out of your mouth. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you have no idea where that's been. Yeah. I was like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, if, if you're talking about trying to figure out when people returned, I think all of those autopsy scenes are like where you kind of have to just like, you know, throw your hat in because after that, it's like, okay, well, everybody in that room was like close enough to it. And they were all like, every time they're doing an autopsy, there's like, they're wearing gloves, but there's like blood up to their armpits. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like they're just yeah. for scientists, they are like super casual about like, you know, protection. And it's very weird. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so I, I actually had a question as to, I don't quite get why they're burning this blood. Um, like this, to me, this is just the, I'm assuming this is just the blood that was, you know, that somebody had broken into that refrigerator and, you know, cut those bags open or whatever. So this is presumably human blood. Like unless, you know, it would be really odd for the thing to like break into it like empty that blood and then like spray some of its own blood all over the blood packs. <laughs> like, so I, I'm not entirely sure why they're burning it other than like, it's a good excuse to, uh, to put this cool shot together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does help set up like something to have, you know, some natural lighting in the, in the film, mm. uh, for this scene. Um, but I didn't. I didn't object to it when I saw them doing it. I mean, I object to them moving it out there. I would have just burned it right in that safe. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, just fire that flamethrower right in that cooler and call it a day. Like, because I guess I can see the alien if it infect if it assimilated some of that blood. Maybe it could like skedaddle out of there. Uh, I don't know. That's a good like, call. It could hide in in that blood. I don't know. If, like, let's say it assimilates into that pool of blood and someone, like, just kind of wipes the cooler clean with those rags and then throws the rags away, it's kind of safe and it's taken somewhere else. So it finds a way out of there. Yeah, that's a good point. it's not burned. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, I forgot. I kind of thought at, at, at an earlier point in the movie and forgot about it. But this seems like also the point where... You know, again, the rules are not like super clear about how the thing works in a lot of cases. So, like, I don't know if it's had access to every person at the camp's blood. Does that mean it could turn into any one of them, or did it? Does it actually need like the whole person's body to turn into them? Like, you know, it, I don't know if it like takes an imprint of it based on like DNA or whatever, or if it has to use the body. I think it has to actually have the material of the body to be able to turn into that body. I'm not. I'm not sure. That's my guess. <laughs> Yeah, because then you're asking the question, can it uh, generate new cells? Right. And then grow from that, like some sort of, uh, what is it called? What are those stem cell, like like assimilated stem cell research? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think in the, in the novella, 
in who goes there, I think they talk a little bit more specifically about that. It like, it can't grow into, it can't turn into something that is bigger than what it already is unless it, you know, like absorbs that organic material. So maybe that has to do with it too. But, but even still, I guess if it got to the blood, it could like, you know, that blood could be a living thing at this point. And I guess it does make sense that they know, you know, even if they don't know necessarily if the blood is like infected or anything, they know for a fact that whoever touched it and sabotaged it is infected. Like there's no reason a human would have done that. So Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a good enough reason, I guess. But, um, I do know just based on, uh, you know, some, some commentaries and research and stuff that this scene is, is not in the script. And it's one of the ones that, um, there, some of these lines are elsewhere in the script, but, uh, Carpenter decided the movie had too many, um, too many scenes of just dudes inside rooms talking to each other. So he wanted it to, you know, bring them outside for some, just to be a little bit more interesting. Um, so, you know, regardless of whether there's like a really, really good reason to burn the blood, it, uh, it's a great, excuse to get them all outside and and get this nice this great shot where you know when it starts it's like super kind of like that night shot of a camp it's all just like black and white in this dark uh deep blue and then uh when he burns the blood you get that nice kind of orange you know warmth coming to it too so it's a really nice contrast yeah and that that really helps a film because there's another movies by minute podcast that i am a co-host on and that is uh tarantino minute and we just finished doing Reservoir Dogs, and about 90% of that film is in this mortuary. And it is so um, depriving of like some much-needed oxygen for the audience. So when you do get the scenes where they're like out in cars or they're out on like a parking garage rooftop or something, those scenes feel like us analyzing those minutes felt like such a f- uh, fresh breath of air. Um, as opposed to like the suffocatingness of that mortuary. So like scenes like this and like this minute right here, it's like, it just helps the audience like take a breather and like enjoy something that's not just walls everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially after the last couple minutes where we're like in these really cramped corridors and with, with like 11 guys crammed into it, like fighting with each other, it definitely does kind of, you know, it, it kind of calms the situation down a little bit. But then, you know, of course, when McCready starts going through his kind of monologue, you get to really see what the stakes are and it gets very, very creepy immediately. So, yeah, I, I love his kind of uh, his speech here where he talks about how, you know, it wants to hide in an imitation and it'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable when it's out in the open. And if it takes us over, then it has no more enemies and then it's one. And while, while he's t- saying that, you get this awesome panning shot across everybody else in the group and it's it's a nice touch i think that you know for obvious reasons they're all like bundled up because it's so cold outside but they all like most of them their faces are are mostly kind of covered up so it's just even more of this kind of like you can't tell what anybody's thinking and and you kind of get the sense that it's very very creepy because you know that at least one one or more of these these people are not humans that they've been taken over by an alien and that's that's such a like unsettling idea so this that that creepy slow pan across it just really gets that across i think yeah and not one of them blinks throughout that pan <laughs> uh they i don't know if they were directed to do that there's only one person who actually like is looking around and blinking and that's childs 
I don't know if that was intentional, but everyone else was. It seems like they were like, all right, you got to stare in this direction because that's where McCready is. And you can't blink. You can't move. You can't do anything. You can't clear your throat. It's like it's I think, you know, the eye movement is is always a selling point in acting. And for it to have all these characters just kind of like dead eye staring in the same direction is is it adds to the suspense, you know, because it, I think it takes away the humanity when people can't blink. <laughs> yeah, no, it's de- definitely is a little eerie and makes them seem, makes it seem more potential that, you know, one of these guys you're looking at is not really a person that it's just pretending to be a person. Like maybe the thing wouldn't know it, that it has to blink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I did. I did notice that, and I think uh, yeah, Childs definitely kind of looks around and blinks a little bit, and it looks like maybe um, Palmer, who's right next to him, who you can hardly tell it's him. I really only figured that out by like process of elimination because he has like this giant parka on and everything. Uh, he kind of looks around a little bit too, which I think is interesting because you know we know that Norris is infected just because of what's coming up in in you know ten or fifteen minutes, but. Palmer and Childs are the only ones that kind of, you know, make any kind of movement around at all, which is, you know, maybe the Palmer one at least is supposed to be a, maybe a hint that uh, that something's amiss with him. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now, if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. I also, like, I never thought about when uh, McCready says, if it takes us over, then it has no more enemies than it's one. And I guess I always thought of that as just in terms of, like, it's, you know, it's defeated us, like, at the base, but... The more I thought about it, that line feels like it's much bigger that he's actually saying, like, if it takes us over, then, like, the whole Earth is is doomed because that we won't have any way to warn every anybody else, you know, when spring comes and when, when rescue or, or, you know, if any of us leave the base, there's no way to tell anybody else on Earth that uh, that we're all infected and that it'll, it'll spread from there. So I, th- I thought that line had a lot more weight to it when I actually thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I always took it as a global thing, like, you know, like, if it doesn't, or if we could, if we don't stop it here, then there's no stopping it from taking over the rest of the the planet. Which I guess does that explain how the spaceship is here? Did it like assimilate a whole planet and then it was able to like take a ship and move on to an, a a new target? Because I'm trying to think like for this thing to to keep on living for oh, it to get I to Earth. Yeah. Did it like you know? Because there's always that spaceship in the beginning of the film and. The thing doesn't look like something that could pilot that per se, right. but like maybe if it completely assimilated a planet, like, okay, so like, let's say it assimilated Earth completely, then it, you know, assimilates an astronaut and then gets in a shuttle, you know, and leaves for another planet. And that's basically what it did to that other alien race. Ah. And that's how it got here. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. That's always kind of like how I was like, oh, yeah, it just took over another planet. And then it was like, all right, time to send one of my assimilated figures out into space to 
continue the the mission for full domination of the universe apparently <laughs> that's pretty interesting i actually hadn't thought about that I, we, we've talked in a few previous episodes about kind of theories about that because that's one of the like biggest mysteries of the movie to me is like you know I, i've thought about whether the thing was like a stowaway on that craft or whether it was maybe like a weapon that that alien race used to like you know that they would like drop the thing onto a planet or uh and it just maybe escaped and and took him over and that's why they crashed. But I actually really like that idea that it was like, you know, that this was like, it's uh, the emissary from the thing race. Like, and it just, uh, you know, nobody on that planet knew that it, that's what it was, but it was, it didn't go into space for exploration or whatever. It went to go find a new planet to take over. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Hit uh, us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Yes. Give us your theories. That's uh, that's kind of the fun of this movie is there's, there's so many kind of big mysteries like that and, and stuff that's left, left open to interpretation. So definitely, uh, definitely join in the conversation and let us know what, what you think. Yeah. I don't think the, I don't think the prequel even explained that part. Did it? The not, 2011 film? Not really. I mean, that it doesn't, the only, to me, the only stuff that the prequel really explains is stuff that we didn't really need explained or, or want explained. <laughs> it doesn't really yeah. go into those kind of mysteries. Although we do get that kind of cool shot of the prequel of the weird like computer thing that's in the in the ship. So you get maybe some idea of what the alien race um, that was piloting it was, look, originally looked like. But yeah, there's not really not really an answer there. <laughs> yeah, are you doing that film after this or no? Probably not. Um, Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm just. I mean, <laughs> there's not that. Uh, to me, there's just not as much to talk about because it's not. It, to me, it's not that great of a movie. Um, I might do like a special episode, or we do, just do like one episode talking about it, or something like that. But yeah, I just. I'm not. I'm not passionate about that movie like I am this one. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But let's see. So the only thing I guess in this minute really is that. You know, at the very end of it, after he gives that kind of monologue, he's, uh, McCready says that there's a storm hitting us in six hours. So, like, you know, if the tensions weren't high enough and if there was, like, there was a need to, like, you know, put a top on this boiling pot that is the outpost, like, okay, so on top of all this going on, now we've got, like, a blizzard coming in. So there's literally, we, we're all going to be stuck inside, you know, for who knows how long. Yeah, it seems like... um one of those lines that are just like, all right, now let's put a time limit or a time crunch on everything. Mm -hmm. And that'll really like get people into like, wait a minute, we don't have all day to like try and sit and figure this out. We got to do it in like six hours. (laughs) Yeah. Which is weird because they don't really do anything with that. Like, yeah, that kind of always made me think like they were going to like be kind of hustling around to like, you know, do stuff, which I think in the script they kind of do. There's like, there's this whole sequence in the script where they all kind of split up and um, so the, the couple of the guys are like dismantling the the rest of the chopper and the tractor so that, you know, if somebody got over it, got uh, taken over, it couldn't use that to escape. And and then they're like searching the base, looking for uh, looking for evidence that anybody's been turned like, you know, torn underwear, or like their clothes, just anybody's clothes kind of hidden behind a trash can or something. But yeah, that really they're, they don't like, you know, he puts this kind of six hours six hour time limit and then they don't really do anything with it. It's, it is kind of interesting. I, I mean, after this minute, you'll, you'll forget it kind of, Yeah, you know, you'll, you know, like it, and then like throughout the film, you, you'll feel that, or I guess you'll have the sense of the, the time crunch. And then like, if you ask yourself, you're like, wait, why, why are we doing that? And you're like, Oh yeah. Cause that 
McCready said we only had six hours, so it's like you have to remind yourself that there's a storm apparently. Which, uh, um, going back to the the tractors being broken down, I always thought they were breaking them down to steal the the uh, the gasoline out of them to make the the Molotovs and stuff. That's what I always thought it was, they were doing. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. I mean, in you know, in the script it happens here, but in the movie it doesn't happen until real close to the end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you might be right. Just getting the gas, just so they can use that to destroy everything. But because it, yeah, it seems like those things are pretty much already trashed from um, from Blair for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, if Blair was making a serious attempt of it, I don't think he would have left it in a state where they could like easily repair it. So yeah, you might you might be right. Maybe maybe that's really the the point of that is just to get the gas. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think that was kind of all I had for for this minute. It's just it's a it's a minute that really kind of sums up what's going on in the movie and and just puts us in a really really eerie sense because you you kind of know that every all the characters are in this scene and you know that someone at least one person you're looking at is not a human being anymore and that's just like such a like spine tingling, creepy thing to think about as these guys, as you see this shot. Um, so yeah, this has always been one of, one of my favorite scenes. I think I have a new more respect for like this minute, just in terms of like him delivering this line and like the, the way that this whole, I guess it's this minute and then tomorrow's minute as well. Like mm-hmm. just that whole, the whole them outside, the, the tension is real now. Like this is it. Like, I always, like I said, when I first watched this minute, like, then it really hit me that it was like, yo, we're in it now. Like, this is it. Like, this monologue is, I guess, the, I don't want to say it's like, it is the film, but it's like, it's pretty much solidifies everything. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of those moments where like, if, if the thing came out today and there was like a modern trailer for it, they would use this narration over the trailer as they were exactly. like showing, <laughs> showing you the movie. I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but I, cause I didn't want to like be wrong and be like, no, they would never use that. But I, you know, <laughs> when I did watch it, I was like, oh, I feel like they could put this in the background and that would explain the plot to everyone and they would be on the same page. <laughs> yeah, I'd be willing to bet somebody has already edited together a fan trailer where they did exactly that. I would I would be shocked mm-hmm. if this that didn't Absolutely. exist. <laughs> but yeah, no, I th- I think you're right that uh, you know, I'm sure you have uh come across it doing doing your own minute podcasts where you kind of spot when you look at it this closely, you kind of spot these scenes and moments where just watching it reg- you know, kind of regularly you don't really think about it but when you kind of sit down and analyze it this closely you see like these major turning points that happen with like single shots and stuff that you don't really don't really pick up on but this is definitely one of those i think and and that's uh that's pretty cool yeah absolutely when we did uh man of steel minute there was uh, a scene with perry white explaining to lois lane why she couldn't publish that story that she hunted down this alien and that this alien exists and it was like his line of that he gave to her that we were like, yo, that's the film. That was, you know, I feel like that's what like David Goyer wrote and sent to WB and was like, it's like the question that Perry White asked Lois was like, if people woke up tomorrow and read this article that an alien is living among us, how would the world react or something like if they knew a guy like that existed out there? And I feel like that's what he just wrote that question and asked WB. And they're like, all right, yeah, make that movie. Like, <laughs> so I've, that was like one of those lines that hit us and was like, that's it. That's the film right there. 
Yeah, it's funny how you don't really notice that stuff just watching the movie, but then when you look at it this closely, it's like incredibly obvious sometimes what, which of those kind of pieces of dialogue or, or shots or whatever just have like a huge impact on kind of the, like the tone and theme of the movie. It's it's funny how that, that pops out when you look at it like this. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, cool. I think that'll probably uh, probably do us for this minute. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, since it's Halloween, what's your favorite candy? Oh, good man. I did not see that coming. You really blindsided me. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what my favorite candy is. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's Butterfingers. Sometimes it's uh, Reese's. Sometimes it's like those Butterfingers that look like Reese's cups. Uh. So sometimes it's the Milky Way. I don't do peanuts. It's, um, it's really a mood kind of thing. Yeah. If you're listening, tweet us your favorite candy. Yes. It's, since it's Halloween, <laughs> let us know. Send us a picture of your favorite candy. Uh, and, <laughs> send you know, us a picture of, of your uh, your loot that you got today. <laughs> yes. For all you listeners who went trick-or-treating today or stole all the candy from the bowl instead of giving it out to kids in your neighborhood, uh, <laughs> you know, let us let us know what your favorite is. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to come down hard and say my favorite candy is Twix. It's a oh, definitive answer. One. Twix. Are yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love all kinds of candy and I will, I will definitely be eating a lot of it tonight and watching some good, uh, good horror movies. So <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a plan. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll wrap up uh, minute 62. So happy Halloween to everybody. And don't forget, uh, as we've mentioned a few times through the show, that you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Thing Minute. So, you know, hop on there and, and uh, talk with us and join in the conversation. And everybody have a fun, spooky night. And make sure to come back tomorrow if you're not uh, in a candy coma for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.